Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 14th of December 2020. Exciting times. The markets had a really good rally. It looks like Mr Putin is looking at ways at keeping his domestic prices of of products down. He's done something with sunflower oil. The whole of the market's gone up today. At the point of recording, the USDA came out. Reasonably bullish figures. Corn wasn't quite so sharp, but it's been great to see an actual recovery in prices. The the last eight to ten days, the market had been falling away and the number of farmer sellers was reducing. In theory, we had too much money in, in many respects. That's all well and good if you've got loads of physical people shoving wheat in your face. Bluntly, we haven't. I see farmers as being in a strong trading position. They've received their acreage payment in full for the last time and they've got a very relaxed attitude. The prices are good. We've got Boris and his group of fibbing Brexit gits. I can't wait to see how they persuade us all that they didn't tell fibs about food prices going up and all that sort of thing. They, they said food prices will come down, if I remember rightly, but no doubt Project Fear, as they called it, will be forgotten and all of the things that they said just aren't true. Um, anyway, so we have a very weak pound, is my point point uh, which is also putting people in the mind of being bullish and I think the trade wants to buy your wheat and I think everyone recognizes that Jan Feb March is going to be a period where I don't think wheat's going to come forward at all and so all right we don't know about exports after January the 1st but we do know that wheat doesn't need to be exported because we're short and allegedly the supply and demand in the UK is so tight anyone who's long of it doesn't feel under any particular pressure If there is going to be a problem with there being too much wheat, that will manifest itself in May or June. So Jan, Feb, March, I think will be starved. And I do think the consumer still has possibly not his Jan to buy, although there were some trades today done Jan, uh, Feb and March. A few consumers were about. But I think looking ahead, they've certainly got some Feb, certainly March and definitely April, June is completely bare boards at the moment. So there's plenty of interest from that side. And the farmer is playing the I haven't got any wheat game, which if it's true, then it really will go up. But I think there is some lumps out there. I've mentioned in previous weeks that the futures uh, stock is beginning to diminish. Well, that is being collected, not at a dramatic pace, but it's going. So where have prices bounced back to? Probably you would make X farm 190 you would be able to get for March is where we're at at this point. And that's probably, yeah, maybe even Feb. It is 190 is the kind of magic figure. And I reckon the first month you get it for is Feb, March. If you look at uh, feed barley, that's off from its peaks, but I don't see much downside to that one either. So, you know, 143, 44x as we go into December, there's still buyers of feed barley. There's buyers in Jan and Feb, or certainly January into Tilbury and probably Ipswich. So there's big boats that are going to be going out in the new year. And that one isn't going to go down either. The kind of poor relation on cereals is actually malting barley. There's the odd uh, spec that is required where people have come short and there's some good sales in place, but it isn't, you know, isn't everybody's friend and the, the beer drinking just needs to ramp up a bit. We need to ramp up the beer drinking. 
Obviously, rapes had a great week with the sunflower thing from Russia. I mean, it's a firm market. We've not got sellers of rape at the moment, and we're encouraging people to close their eyes and run it for a little bit. I think there's a, there's a bit of sport and fun to be had in that. Um, yeah, so all in, it's a very bullish uh, outlook at this point. It's had a phenomenal Thursday. It's looking pretty buoyant as we go into Friday. I'm sure there'll be a few profit takers about, but underlyingly, we're heading towards Christmas. People are beginning to take the foot off the gas in terms of trading. If you've not got yourself supply, you're in trouble. Um, I think most people have and I think that it will kind of fizzle out in December early Jan is well covered I think then it's got no reason to go up particularly unless a consumer thinks that post Christmas it's going to really ramp up or someone thinks that the pound is completely going to collapse out of bed so I'm quietly and happily friendly to the market as we go into uh, into the next week so uh, have a great week's trading cheers thank you for listening please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. The Dewing Grain app will keep you updated with real-time industry news, data analysis and insights into the market, giving you all the information you need to make informed trading decisions. A commodity selling feature enables you to source prices and receive direct offer notifications informing you on what Dewing Grain are looking to buy and at what price. Search Dewing Grain on the App Store or Google Play to download and with all of these features in your pocket, you'll have more time to sit back and listen to our podcast. To set up a trading account with us, call 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. And now it's time for Farm Chat. This week, I'm going to continue along the lines of our education series because there's a subject that is really dear to my heart that I think the grain trade has kind of lost the use of. And if you'll forgive me, some of you more experienced traders out there, obviously this is like teaching you to suck eggs, but there are a number of people who listen to this podcast who kind of are new to trading and don't really get the history of it all. The subject I want to talk about is futures and their place in the marketplace because there are some times when things are occurring which to me are just absolutely blatantly obviously going to change and there'll be monetary opportunity for some people and I think they should either A, be seeing it or B, able to persuade their business to allow them to trade the damn thing so they can take advantage of it. So as I said, bear with me those that understand this stuff and those that don't, this is meant with the best intentions, all right? So let's just start with the basic concept of why futures were invented. If you go back to when Windy Miller had a flour mill at the edge of the village, all the farmers would turn up at harvest time because they've just cut the corn all at the same time. So there he'd be, stuffed out with wheat. He can only take so much into his store and say, look, I don't need any more. The price is rubbish. I'm going to give you nothing, next to nothing for it. Farmers went away and, oh, bloomin' old Windy Miller, he's no good. And if they could store it, they could perhaps come along later in the year and and actually sell the stuff. At the very end of the year, in the May-June following, obviously all of the stocks had been used up, and there'd be poor old Windy Miller knocking on the farmer's door saying, have you got any wheat left? I really could do with some right now. And he would be then having to pay a significantly much higher price. So there was a a natural fluctuation in prices on the basis of uh, need, usage, supply, etc. So that's a very, very basic principle of of one of the problems before uh, sophisticated trading came in. Um, Also, so if you consider why futures were invented, if you were a biscuit maker, for example, and you knew the cost of your staff, you knew the cost of the factory, you knew the cost of everything that took to make all of the machines and the ovens work, you knew you fixed your electricity bill, you got all of your costs in place, and you saw the price of wheat 
and you knew that the futures price related to a delivered to your baking plant, you know, you knew that the, what they call the basis, which is the relationship between a futures price of wheat and any given market. So X farm has a normally has a basis where it's discounted futures and delivered to a consumer has a premium over the futures. It's normally in a set range. And a miller or a biscuit maker would be able to put on the cost and say, right, if futures are there, it's going to cost me another 14 quid to get it into my stuff as delivered as flour. And therefore, I will fix the price because I've just spoken to all the supermarkets I know my sums if I can buy all that wheat at that price I know I'll make one pence every biscuit I make and that's enough for me so what he needs to do at that point is go in and secure prices not just for that week but going into the future so if the supermarket said look yeah we'll do a deal for three years on the trot the biscuit maker could go to somewhere and actually see forward prices and go yep I'll buy that I'll buy that I'll buy that fixing those forward prices and guaranteeing himself a price and guaranteeing himself a profit it's gave his business security. If you take the opposite, the farmer example, you know, a farmer can plant the crop confident that he can lock into a profit even before he's bought the seed if necessary. And you, you could trade as a farmer Nov 22 feed wheat X farm in Norfolk at 145x safely. That's kind of around the area where some trades have occurred on the basis of the futures trading in about 153, 154. That is a fact. We are, what, 20 months away from the from you even having the seed produced that you could plant the point being you could guarantee 145 pounds a ton because there is a price there that someone's prepared to pay and it relates to your ex-farm value so it's a really useful invention the other thing you have to consider is it is an incredibly simple invention because everything has been related to the futures price it becomes the barometer Everybody knows their value against it. Everybody can do their budgets against it. And in fact, everybody in this industry uses the futures as their barometer. But what they don't do anymore is use the futures physically. They actually just quote the futures price. And the irony being the number of times that traders will turn around to the brokers or turn around to anyone and say, oh, I'm not selling it for that. Futures are £3 up. They could have been asking for 198 delivered to a consumer the day before. And just because the futures have gone up 3 quid bearing in mind that they don't trade futures, they suddenly want £201 a tonne. And, you know, the consumer that they were trying to sell to yesterday at 198 might be paying 199 or even 200 No, they're not selling it because the futures have gone up £3. That's absolutely relevant if they had a futures position, but they don't. And that's what's so, so utterly nuts about it. Anyway, I won't start ranting yet. That's to come, I suspect. If you go back in time, the UK grain trade was much more sophisticated in the way it traded. That's hard to believe with all your smartphones and groovy little tech stuff that you all uh, spend your time gawping at. But if you go back to the days of George Mason of Haygate's he uses the futures. He knows how they work. His dad traded them. He was the buyer at Favour Parkers. The buyer at Bernard Matthews, Mike Evans, he used to trade them regularly. He would do his buying basis futures. And then when the, the premiums over or under the futures altered a bit and they were in his favour, he would then step in and buy the physical wheat. The point is that the bulk of the trade utilised futures all the time. The traders all had a futures account unless they were really diddy little merchant. And because of that, much more liquidity, everybody kind of knew where they stood with it. Now, why or how has the industry that invented this product, well, why has it stopped using it is the question. Why on earth doesn't everybody simply use this simple tool as a product? Um, I'm going to very um, squarely lay the blame at the foot of accountants and chief executives. I'm going to say that if in the history of grain trading, 
anyone's ever gone broke. And there's been a number of people who have, as we all know. Every time that whoever it is has gone down, the first thing that's stripped out, oh, look, they had a futures loss of £30,000. Futures are always highlighted as some form of, you know, devil. And bearing in mind accountants probably don't really understand futures. That's, let's, let's keep well away from them. They are, they are really highly regulated. And someone's going to ask me a difficult question in the AGM, and I don't actually know the answer. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to say, oh, no, don't trade truth, it's far too risky. And I, I, I've got um, well, a number of anecdotal stories of this in the past. I think if you start with the place that the futures accounts that we hold, the people, our brokers who, who translate our orders into the actual trades, off them every single day, we get a daily confirmation of each and every trade. We get a daily statement of our position every single morning. We get what we did, what we didn't do, what our open position is, it closes out contracts that, we, that we've got to purchase when matched with a sale. It gives you constant cash assessment. It gives you a, a monthly statement. It is unbelievably laden with a, a statement about what your business is doing every single day. And the accountant is always copied in on this. So it is very, very clear, if you're using it as your main trading tool, how many tons of futures you've got at any given time. And if you've got half a brain cell, you can relate the tonnage of that to the tonnage you have purchased or sailed on, on your physical book. So, well, anyone can see that you've got 50,000 tonnes of grain bought and you've got 30,000 tonnes of grain physically sold and then there's 20,000 tonnes of futures sales which balances the set of scales. That is effectively every single day sent to you and your accountant and everybody else to confirm exactly where you stand. So there's no surprises, no mystery, nothing hidden. It's all absolutely stated. The issue that puts people off futures is the fact that you have to lodge money to trade them. You have to have a lump of money down there because the actual um, futures ring won't go broke on the basis that every time there's a transaction done, whoever trades has to have enough money lodged with them to cover an actual market movement greater than what is likely. And every single day, if the market's gone against your position, and what that means is if I've sold one lot of London futures at £120 a tonne, and the market goes down to £110 a tonne, there is a £10 times 100 tonnes bill I have to pay the next morning. It's called a margin call. The opposite of that would be if the market went up and I was long of, of one lot of futures, I would make a £10 profit. And I could, if I wanted, take that money into my account. So it isn't all bad news. If you've got the futures in the wrong direction, you have to pay margin calls. And if you have it going in the right direction, it gives you extra cash to spend. The point is that over the years, sometimes markets do very dramatically unexpected things and people have had unexpected margin calls. And that has been one of the issues that has given them such a bad name. If you know that's a likelihood or a probability, then you always have that in the back of your head and you always have to consider it not as an occupational hazard, but an occupational reality and a risk. And as long as you've grown up about it and you know it's there, it shouldn't be in a position ever to take you down. And that is the key point. Lots of people squeal about how terrible it all is with futures. How could they took all my cash away and I wasn't getting any money in and I don't know. They wanted money the next morning. Yeah, yeah, you knew the rules. 
But what you've got is this incredibly flexible, simple, transparent tool that gives you the price in front of your face at any point in time, which is incredibly impartial, invaluable, and it takes it away from some price-setting you know, monopoly that ultimately would be the case if you didn't have the futures market there. So let's get into this thing about accountants. I think it's time for this. I just need to just you know loosen up a bit on the old uh, bitter and twistedness I've had over the years because I've worked at a number of businesses in my my youth and the first job I had was at Dalgetty's and they understood totally what Futures did. We ran Futures stores. They utilised it to their advantage. I used to do the um, rents by hand. It was incredibly arduous, but it taught me every single thing about the product and it didn't frighten me. And the business, the, the guys who were trading it, that would be Ivan Bishop, Don Patterson, those guys would have made a conscious decision, right, we're going to put that stuff against Futures, the best market for us, and that will give us a bucket load of cash on that day and we'll charge them rent for it. They had margin calls. It was within their plan. It was in their capacity to deal with it. Don't stretch yourself beyond what you can afford if the market goes against you in margin calls. Golden rule. So in my time, I I can remember when I was, I think I was about 25 or 26 and I I hot-headedly had uh, left Dalgetty's because they didn't pay me the bonus I thought I deserved having been a superstar on Million Week one year. And um, I took this job at a company called John Lee Bennett. It was a diddy little company in the west of Norfolk in Downham Market. And I can remember having a futures account, which had been there historically but they weren't particularly used to doing that and they didn't have a future store before I came along and um, I can remember sitting in a board meeting and when you've been just a trader up to, to any given point you don't get involved in looking at balance sheets and understanding what the hell anyone's running on about uh, when they're talking about um, you know management meetings and all of the real stuff about running a business so my first experience of it was right as long as you keep making money you're going to be fine Sonny just walk in there and tell them how it is and they'll be behind you and I can remember sitting in there and all of a sudden the accountant there was a bit where we'd sold futures and we'd bought the physical wheat and it was you know we had a margin locked into it but the market shortly afterwards had gone up dramatically and he asked me why I had sold this is I'd had two or three months of of kind of animosity creeping up and I was getting a little bit miffy about it and you know being young and unable to handle these things in a churm and I just kind of used to feel a bit attacked or whatever anyway sat there and this week he said, you know, well, you, know you, you bought this wheat off these people and you got, uh, you know, a stock in there and you sold these futures. And it's very obvious that the market went up very dramatically shortly afterwards. Why did you sell those futures? And I'm not being funny, Mr. Accountant, but your job is to count things, you know, beans whatever else you feel like counting, a count ant. That's what you do. You count ants. Anyway, my response, immature as it was, was, do you know what? I thought to myself, I've just bought this wheat from the farms. I'm going to sell the futures because I know this market's about to go up £15 a tonne. I think I can't bear making £15 a tonne. I'm going to have to sell the futures. And that's why I did it. And of course, this magnificent silence in the boardroom. And to be fair to the chief executive, he didn't have a clue about any of it anyway. So he kind of pulled a puzzled expression and didn't like conflict. And the accountant kind of turned around. These were the days when you could smoke pipes in board meetings, which uh, I didn't do, but he did. Uh, And a little little puff on the old pipe. And he turned to the the general manager as if to say, see, I told you he was an idiot. And then the penny dropped that I just basically called him a prat. And um, yeah, the point being that hindsight trading is for your wife or for an accountant. And I guess my relationship with them from then onwards was never really healthy. But the point is you have, because of the complexity of them when there's an AGM, lots of people are scared of futures for whatever myth or folklore there was. Farmers lost money trading futures, allegedly. 
on potatoes. No, they didn't. They sold potatoes at a price and then tendered them to get the money later. What happened was the price of potatoes went up dramatically after they sold them and they had to pay margin calls and they're not used to doing it and it disrupted their cash flow and they had to close out their positions. And so the the reason they lost money is because they didn't have themselves geared up to cope with the, the market going against them. The actual potatoes and the sale price they made for them would have given them a profit. And that's the point. So an accountant with all of these stories of terribleness about futures is going to say, no, don't trade them, they're terrible things. And I have another anecdotal story of when I first came to Ailsham. I can remember um, I was trading for Ailsham Grain Marketing and we were just trying to get this little company going. And uh, I, I introduced them to futures and it was all very exciting for them. And I had a really good year on trading their pool price. We absolutely stormed it. We had a diddy little book to trade. I could pay lots of attention to quite a small tonnage relative to what we're trading nowadays. And so we were able to jump in and out of the market and increase the pool price all the way through by just trading around it. And I had a couple of farmer directors who came and checked on my position every week, which again was a bit of a giggle because they didn't really understand what the hell I was talking about. Very patiently explained week after week exactly what having a future sale meant, where the wheat was, how the scales, I always use the example of scales, were balanced. Anyway, it was really, really good. The, the price was unbelievably high for the pool. We did it really well. But at the very end of the trading season, the net position on the futures trading account was £3,000 negative. In the fact that the physical price, what we'd done had been right. We'd sold futures, bought physical, uh, the price had gone up, We jumped out of the futures early, ran it, sold the physical at a higher price. I made a £3,000 futures loss, but I made like £25,000 physical extra profit. It was breathtakingly brilliant. And in the AGM, this complete moron of a farmer actually said out loud, well, it would have been better if Andrew hadn't speculated on the futures. And it was like, oh, I talk, talk about unappreciated and every eye turns on you in the room. And there is the myth of the futures being a terrible thing. Everybody looks at you as if you're some sort of demon. He stole 3,000 pounds from us, you know. Ah, oh, I, I must admit that was a bad, bad AGM. Bearing in mind, I thought I was a superstar and I knew the price was brilliant. But hey, so hence my bitterness. The reason for all of this ranting is... I I want to talk about this because right now, at this moment, there is something going on that I think if there's anybody out there who's a buyer for a compound mill who's not allowed to trade futures because of his chief executive or because of his accountant, those two people need to know they are costing their own business money and they need to take responsibility for it. You know, it's one of those things where I'll do the basic sum for you and why I've got this bee in my bonnet at the moment. At this point in time, May futures are trading at 193, okay? Any consumer who wants to buy physical wheat is being quoted by the whole of the grain trade £8 over. So that's going to be, if you're buying straight May, 201 delivered. And if it comes back to February, if you take a pound a month off, it's going to be 198, which is traded today. Okay, eight pounds over the futures. Now, I am a futures store. Everybody knows we tender in most trading positions on the futures. If I was to sell wheat at eight pounds over to Duffields at Saxlingham or to Four Farmers at Burston or to Kenning Hall, I can get the haulage from my stores anything between five pounds fifty and six pounds a ton. So if they are paying eight pounds over, I am making a two to two pounds fifty extra margin instead of selling futures. So the stuff that's in my store, 
I can either sell futures at 193 or I can sell physical at 201. If that's the case, I will sell the physical at 201 because I make an extra £2 a tonne. Everybody gets that, don't they? I've got no audience to nod, but I'm pretty sure somebody somewhere is nodding at this point. Nodding off to sleep, probably. Anyway, if you take that as the base part of Norfolk, which is where futures tend to work because we are a surplus area, you could say, OK, there's other parts of the country we could be tendered, actually, so you might be wrong. Okay, you then have to start looking at the premiums that are being paid in other parts of the country. So if you take the other lowest place at the moment is around Edinburgh. So it's again £8 over. Again, you can get haulage from the future stores to those consumption homes for less than £8. So even at the, the other cheapest place in the country where they've had a big crop of wheat this year, it is still financially advantageous to ignore the futures and to sell physical wheat instead. But if you go to places like Yorkshire, £14 over. Billsthorpe, £12 over. The North West, £17 to £20 over the futures. Girvan, £17.50 over the futures price. You have to say to yourself, where is there in this country that someone could tender where the premium isn't big enough to say, well, I'm not going to tender, I'm not going to bother selling futures? Okay, I think the old penny's dropping here, isn't it? If it doesn't work here, it isn't going to work anywhere. And my argument is that at some point, the physical price over the futures and the futures price will come closer together. Now, I'm not saying whether the price is going to go up or down for that eventuality to happen. What I'm saying is that it will come in to probably £5 over because at that point it becomes financially more advantageous for me to sell futures than to sell to the mill. Okay, and it's as simple as that. It's maths. You know, if, I, if my cheapest haulage is 550 and the premium over to a consumer is £5, then I make an extra 50p if I sell it straight as a future store. And I get a few benefits on top of that, like cash a lot earlier. And if they don't move it very quickly, I also earn a bit of rent out of it. Um, but the other thing to consider this year is the number of stores. There's a lot less stores registered. So if you look at where all of the stores actually are in this country, where the grain was tendered so far, it's fairly clear that unless someone comes in with some new registrations, there isn't going to be much wheat in any of those stores that is going to be tendered in May. Because the stuff that was tendered in November is being collected. The main person who's owning it is collecting it. So the stores are beginning to empty. And by the time we get to May, very probably our stores will be empty. And if there's still a big premium to futures, I won't even be bothering to come anywhere near the store. I'll just be going straight into consumer at £8 over and saying, well, I'm just making money. This is great. I don't pick it up from farm, take it in there, don't touch the store. Excellent. A total profit. So... As if I can buy the stuff cheap enough off farm, which I will add, this year has been a little bit difficult. So the question, and I was corrected on my podcast a couple of weeks ago by none other than Mr. Mr. Simon Locke uh, himself, who said, because I said there was a 66,000 tonne short position on the May futures, which has got to be, you know, addressed at some point. And he quite rightly said it's actually 660,000 tonnes of futures May. Now, what does that mean? I hear you scream. Um... It means Simon Locke listens to my podcast every now and again. Very honoured. But it also means that 660,000 tonnes has been bought by someone and sold by someone to create what they call an open position. An open position is the number of lots that are still there that someone's using as some form of hedge to make their set of scales balance. Now, I suppose the question is, who will be selling the futures? The person who will be selling the futures is the long. Let's pretend that George Mason has bought... 10,000 tonnes of futures, and someone comes along and says, here, George, I've got a load of your perfect wheat here, soft, hard, 
you name it, shiny, perfect George Mason wheat. Um, at the point he says, okay, I like that wheat. I'll pay this much for it. And they go, thank you, George. Like that, because that's what you have to say, George. Thank you, sir. And um, the uh, George, I think, listens to. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, um, he hasn't bought me beer and got a free mention. He has bought me beer once, I think. Anyway, so that's a, a side. Anyway, so George, at that point, will go, right, I'm now going to unwind my futures. I'm going to sell them. He's the person who will supply them back into the market. So some of that 660,000 tonnes, he'll be going, right, off it goes. And possibly the person who sold them the physical wheat might well have used the futures on the other side of the thing to balance his book. So the two of them, although they don't know it's happening between the two of them, do a trade in the futures and it's actually them squaring up and the, and the open position drops down a bit. So the people who will be selling futures are people who are long and who are looking to buy physical wheat and convert it from just a futures trade. There's also a number of trades done between people called AAs, which is a, a big deal done between two big companies where they say, look, we'll hedge the price. That's where the futures are. Let's do, you know, 100,000 tonnes. Boom. And at some point in time, we'll agree to cross them over in the future. We'll phone up two brokers and say, we're going to do a cross. This is the price we're doing at. That's what it's trading at. And we'll close out our trade and lock into the physical deal that we've got arranged. And so lots of the tonnage is, is within things like that. In the end... In theory, they will balance each other out and there'll be nothing left and it will be fine, clean and clear. However, what if, now I love what ifs, what if someone buys one lot of May wheat futures and says, oh, I, don't, I don't want to sell them back, I want to see where they come from. Now at some point, whoever's left holding the baby, it's musical chairs and there's one chair left and there's two of you standing. One person's got to say, okay, here's 100 tonnes of wheat. I'm going to tender it in Kent or I'm going to tender it in Ipswich or I'm going to tender it in Aylsham, I don't know. Then that person who mathematically doesn't have any benefit in tendering futures because there's a better price to sell it to a consumer, is going to say, oh, damn, I wish I hadn't done that. And he's going to go, oh, I'd like to buy those futures. I don't really want to tender it because I can make more money selling it to a consumer down the road. So let's just say the what if isn't just one lot, but it's 100 lots, 10,000 tonnes, or it's 200 lots. You know, it doesn't take very long for there to be a problem for somebody. If I haven't got any wheat in my sheds and I have to buy wheat from a farm and I can make £8 over to a consumer, so I'm paying probably a futures price or a premium to it. In order to be able to tender, I've got to pay the haulage into the store, the store charges for doing it. I'm probably going to lose about eight or nine pounds a ton. I'm not going to do it. There's no way I'm going to do it. And if my store's been emptied by the people from the November position, the wheat just isn't going to be there. And I can't see someone having stored wheat all the way through to next May when, if you remember in November at the start of the month, the price for November futures were 192 and the price for May futures were 190. So only someone who really had some form of like maths deficiency disorder, where he could sell it six months later for two pounds less, is... <laughs> What I'm saying is that people should have tended at that point. I can't see anyone holding on to wheat. So if I was a, one of the bigger buyers, I personally would just buy, I don't know, 100 lots of futures and go, do you know what? Let's see how the dice rolls out. Those boys can't tender it. And so my argument is, therefore, the price of futures has got to come up to a place that makes it viable for someone to be able to tender. And that's it. So if you've got... And this is the bit about the accountant costing your business money, Mr. Millbuyer. If it is currently an £8 premium for wheat, and I'll do the sum for the simple-minded, the futures are 193 Let's just say you buy futures instead of buying physical. So if you bought physical, it would cost you 201 delivered, £8 over the futures. If you buy futures instead... And you sit on your hands all the way through. Yes, you might have a margin call. Yes, you'll have some money tied up. Very irritating. But bearing in mind, there's no interest rates anymore. And if you have money in the bank, they charge you. So what the hell? Spend some. Anyway, 
Let's just imagine the price goes up a tenner and the market when it gets towards May has now come to correct itself a bit because the relationship, as I've explained, has to come in. It cannot stay out there at £8 a tonne because no one's going to tender. So it's come into £5 premium or even less than that, but say £5 premium. What happens is it's gone up £10 a tonne on the future, so 193 has become 203 and the physical price is now only a £5 premium. 208 delivered so there you are buying the physical wheat at 208 delivered instead of 201 i hope someone's getting excited now thinking oh you know there's an accountant itching now um but don't forget you've just made a 10 pound profit so you sell your futures and make your 10 quid you take that off the 208 that you've just paid and you've ended up buying the wheat for 198 delivered instead of 201 that's why if I was a consumer and I needed April, May, June wheat, I would be buying May futures. And any consumer who can't do that because they're chief executive or their accountant won't let them do it is having their hands tied together. That's my point. Okay, so I've probably secured a certainty that no one will ever employ me on the basis of the fact that the accountant, the financial director won't like me, the chief executive won't like me because I've called them idiots. But that is fundamentally what my rant and rave is all about. And I hope it's kind of simply and straightforwardly explained just why the £8 premium isn't going to continue forever. It's going to continue in the short term because there's no physical sellers of wheat and there's not that many traders of futures. But... At some point, it will correct itself. And at some point, the regrets of not being able to trade futures will count against you and everybody else in this industry because we need it to stay as the independent barometer. Anyway, thank you for that. No one can stop me. I'm sitting on my own. And therefore, um, I've thoroughly enjoyed that. So have a great week's trade. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 or email info at The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.